0: Welcome to the Dr. Budgill Podcast. I couldn't be more excited to have Joanna Stahl here, who is the CEO and founder of GoToPractice, which I want to talk to you about that name because it's interesting. As a doctor, I was like I always think of medical practice. Oh. But it is, uh, I would say, the most comprehensive online fitness search engine for folks looking for fitness experiences. And it's literally whatever fitness experience you're looking for, from what I gather. If you want to do a group course... Uh, if you want to find a gym with a pool in it, if you want to go to like a boutique-y fitness place, uh, you want to take a spin class. I mean, it's all on there. And I think there's like a hundred thousand options around the country. Is that right?
1: Yeah, one hundred thousand, a little over, but a hundred thousand is a safe number.
0: I mean, it's we're going to get into all the details because you know, obviously, I'm super into fitness. Yep. As I know you are.
1: Yes.
0: Um, and, and I really want to hear about how you thought of that idea and you know the journey to create what you've created, which is I think is just incredible. Awesome. Um, but one of the things I love to do on this podcast is is actually learn about the entrepreneur, uh-huh. him or herself. Um, so you know, maybe if you could just start by telling us just a little bit about like your upbringing, where you grew up. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, I'll ask you Throw the questions. The I'll ask you the questions that I have because I have so many questions for you. Okay. But uh, I know, I know you grew up in New Jersey because we're just talking about that. But so you grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. This is an awesome little setup. Um, So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, right outside of Philly. Um, Athlete my whole life. I was that little tomboy, tom girl, whatever. Um, So, like,
0: Little League and all that sort of stuff?
1: My dad was a Little League coach. He loves to tell the stories of when he used to strike me out, and I would get mad at him and storm off the field. Um, I was a swimmer mostly growing up. I started swimming when I was five. Um, I had the nickname of LT, which stands for Little Tyrant. So, I would stand at the pool deck at, like, you know, the five, six-year-old that would just yell at the big kids. Um, nice. so I started, I started the, uh, the attitude early. Um, so yeah. did you
0: compete at that age yeah. in swimming? Yeah,
1: yeah. Summer swimming was like a big deal. And then winter swimming too. I swam through college. Oh, no way. Yeah. I rode crew through college. Yeah. Uh, sport was definitely part of my day, which is a little bit into the name of go to practice of kind of like, what do you do in your day? Um, I went to school. I went to work. I went to practice. Like practice was my okay, every day. That's where it comes from. you answered
0: the question I was going to ask you? Yeah.
1: Um, the the truth is I wanted practice.com. I had it for a minute. Um, mark Cuban owns the URL. Oh, and really? he won't sell it to me yet. Huh. One, right. day, One day. Mark, you're
0: listening. So, so you you're an athlete all growing up. When you played the Little League question, did you yeah. play, was there girls in the league or did you play with the boys?
1: um i think little little it was a girls and boys team but Uh then once you were in like regular school what a school age i played uh you know softball softball and you know to be honest i i still remember the softball days where you know the dads were the coaches but it was a it was a young girls softball league underhand pitch that's gotcha
0: and did you play softball all through high school as well
1: i did i i thought i wanted to play in college and then i did not want to so i I ended up um I i swam and then i rode crew.
0: So you swam for high school as well. Yep. And you wrote, did your high school have a crew team?
1: We didn't, um, and I didn't really know about the sport of crew until I got into college. And so I went to Ithaca, which was a Division three school, and you could really kind of pick up a sport at the D three level. Um, and crew was awesome; one of the best decisions I made.
0: My brother actually swam crew for Union. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember. I mean, it was intense. Like, it's... and I knew a guy who swam crew at Emory where I went. I mean, it's crazy. Like, you yep. get up at like, I mean, get up at four like thirty or five in the morning. And it would be like you'd run and do all this like conditioning stuff in the morning, and then you'd row. Yep. Like later in the day, was that kind of how it was for you guys then? Yeah,
1: we did. Um, we did mornings, most mornings. I mean, I you know learned how to be a great napper from it. Um, learned to be on all the time. Learned the like love of fitness. I was also an exercise science major at the time, okay. and our and my coach was kind of a professor in that same um, degree. So it kind of worked out that I had to like impress the coach. Who's your professor? Yeah. Uh, yeah, all the time. So yeah. it was It was overall like a great experience. I, I didn't graduate with an exercise science degree, but kind of started that way. Um, gotcha. So was your developed.
0: plan to go into something fitness related? I, wanted, I
1: thought I wanted to be a, a physical therapist until I realized the glass ceiling and you really um, just the idea of having to work with humans and talk to them every day, which is kind of why I don't want to be a personal trainer mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but yeah, so I realized that I didn't really want to be doing that and I was more interested in the business side. I... Um, I took this one class, uh, I guess, liberal arts degree makes sense in this space. Um, I took one class in uh, magazine writing. And I got super into it, but I didn't want to write. I wanted to run the back end of magazines. Mm-hmm. And so my professor told me about, um, there's two different programs. One was at Harvard. One was at NYU for, it was like a summer publishing institute, which I went there. Um, and then I got into, I was like the only one that cared about the business side. I didn't really care about the design or the content. So or getting advertisers yep. and all that sort of stuff. And the production of it all and how it worked back when magazines were cool. And that was my first job. I you know dove into the publishing space.
0: So you, so what did you end up majoring in?
1: Uh, marketing and I had a nutrition minor.
0: Okay. So then you graduate college, graduate Ithaca College, and then we br- briefly spoke about this before the yeah. podcast, but I just find this fascinating. Yeah. Um, so you, you worked for I. I
1: So I dove in, tobacco I, magazine. Yeah, I mean, it was so fun. I remember my line and I said this to HR people and it totally worked. Um, I said, my goal is to learn as much as I can, as fast as I can. And so I, um, it was either between working at People Magazine as a sales assistant, or as a marketing assistant at the American Baby Group. And I chose the American Baby Group because it just let me see more things versus just sales. So I represented, or whatever, I worked for the VP of Marketing, who um, we, had a, we had a couple magazines. We had a partnership with the American Academy of Pediatrics. We had trade shows across the US. We had sampling programs. And it was just a much bigger team. So, so I the trade shows were like
0: pediatric conferences and stuff? <laughs> no, it was,
1: uh, it was for prenatal women. So imagine a trade show full of baby stuff. With pregnant women or post you know, women who just had their babies, um, streaming kids everywhere. It was so nuts. the moms
0: would come, moms. and pregnant consumer, women were come. It was
1: a consumer show. Oh wow! Nuts. Oh no yeah, way! It was in seven cities. It, it did really well for a long time. I don't think it's, it, it exists any longer.
0: So that was your first job? First job. OK. And then?
1: And then I went to, um, so custom publishing was kind of in that space. Um, and so I kind of kept the custom publishing and went over to Hachette for um, custom publishing for Marlboro, Mercedes, and Ferrari. And it was kind of their custom publishing group uh-huh. in Hachette. And Hachette owned, at the time, like all of the car magazines you can think of. OK, like and Car and Driver car and all, and all driver, those? Car and Driver, Road and Track. Motor trend, They also stuff. owned L. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so some kind of cool brands. So it was a, a big publishing house at the time. Um, And my boss and bosses were awesome. So did Philip
0: Morris pay them to make the magazine? Yep.
1: So custom publishing is just a brand that wants to have a content piece created for them, for their consumers. Yeah. So custom publishing is a big, big market. It still is pretty cool.
0: What are some other custom publishing magazines?
1: So I did uh, Philip Morris. Um, Under Philip Morris, I personally worked on Unlimited, which was their uh, Marlboro brand. Mm. Um, They had a Virginia Slims magazine. They had another one. I can't think of it. But we did Mercedes. It was called Mercedes Momentum, which Mm -hmm. I think still exists. And we did a magazine for Ferrari. Um, So just kind of like fancy brands that want to distribute their own content. I think like AARP has their own magazine still today. Um, A lot of insurance companies, that kind of stuff.
0: So what are you doing exactly? Are you getting advertisers to advertise in that magazine?
1: So I wasn't. At the time, I was more like the project director. So I would be the person that said, hey, salespeople, sell this issue. Hey, production people, let's do this. Hey, client, you know, hey, do you want to, Polybag this with the brc card and do you want does it look right how many pages do you want do you want to do something special within it i was more of the hand holder of the client
0: so i, I just wanted i was that, also
1: 25 so i was literally like taking direction of somebody else's superior to you yeah, yeah, yeah but
0: i'm just i'm just curious so yeah. you're basically communicating with phil morris yep. and saying hey what do you want in your magazine right
1: i was sitting in rooms with people smoking around me trying to do all the offended. people
0: that work at <laughs> filmmore smoke? At um the...
1: many of them did.
0: And then you're talk then you're you're basically Philmore's like, okay, I want like blah blah blah, mm-hmm. right? I want to like a hundred page magazine, yep. whatever they tell Action, you. Action adventure, mm-hmm. good right. times. Okay. So then, what do you do? What like what? Then who do you talk to to execute that? So we
1: had an edit. We had a edit team. Oh god, the guy's name's Kevin. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. He's awesome. Um, he would come up with these cool stories. We were doing like kite surfing and rock climbing. It was like an action adventure magazine. It just happened to be targeted. Like
0: who writes this stuff?
1: We would outsource just like every other magazine. Um, it was operated just like a traditional publication. The only thing that's really different is that they controlled the circulation, and they controlled the advertising. Gotcha. They controlled the content too, but it was. It was authentically made for 21-year-old men who happened to be smokers gotcha. that were interested in cool stuff.
0: Well, um, was it hard getting advertisers?
1: At the time, I think there was some limitations on like what would work and what wouldn't work. But, you know, people were targeting 21-year-old men all the time.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: um, it, it, it wasn't going to exist on advertising alone. It was more of like a supplement.
0: I imagine the magazine doesn't exist anymore.
1: does not exist any yeah. longer, as far as I know.
0: So then what happened? So you're working for them for how long?
1: Oh, all of my jobs were about two years. Okay. Um, Hachette was awesome. I I was just with my old bosses actually last week for dinner. Um, What did I do after that? So then I went to Lifetime Fitness. Okay. So I started, so kind of think publishing, publishing, publishing. And then Lifetime Fitness had their own custom magazine that went to Uh, members of Lifetime Fitness. And they were just about to become like a national brand And like kind of grow up and want national advertisers versus regional, and so they kind of hired me as a salesperson. To that was my first selling position.
0: That's selling to advertisers.
1: Advertisers that wanted to target fitness consumers, which was me. So by the way, I've I've been teaching group fitness classes since I got certified in 1999. I've been teaching. I started teaching at Crunch. So while you were you were were certified in college. Yep. Okay. Yep. Which was also. A fun riff between my crew coach because I rode lightweight crew I should Uh go back a little bit so I rode lightweight crew I was the crazy kid that would do like sit-ups in the sauna wearing plastic bags (laughs) I had to drop like 10 pounds every week that
0: sounds crazy yeah it's like a wrestler exactly
1: and I didn't realize I was short or heavy until then
0: so (laughs) so so you did group fitness so when you were in Ithaca you taught at crunch in Ithaca
1: Uh, no in Ithaca I taught at the Ithaca fitness center and it was what did you teach um cycling and these little boot camp classes so like spin, spin classes C- cycling you're not allowed to okay. spin is a trademark name oh is that right yeah ah. spin spinning um yeah so at the time i was spin certified so legit a okay. uh, mad dog it's called um and yeah i would get in trouble because i would i would be the overachiever that'd be like yeah but i'm gonna go like your practice is not hard enough for me so i'm gonna go spin now wow and my coach was not you know, uh, it's like, that's like
0: right. understandable. So you did that boot camp classes, yep. then you moved to New York. Were the magazines in New York th- that you were working for when you Yeah, left so college?
1: the true trajectory. So graduated college, I was already an instructor. I moved to New York. I did the NYU summer publishing program. Uh-huh. It was a six week program. I, I got a job right after I moved a block away from the dorm that I was living in. Mm. And the first job before I got the job at American Baby was at Crunch. So okay. I started teaching for Crunch, I think Wednesday mornings. And you were doing both at the same time. And then I was doing both. So I've always taught while having a day job which crunch uh that one was the one on uh, lafayette which is gone i belonged wanted... belong to that crunch for a while did you i think around the same time actually yeah. 13th street was my like home yeah. home okay like that's my you know baby and well, that yeah. was gone i got now married
0: it's... uh 2004 and we lived on bleak room broadway so yeah. i joined that crunch uh-huh. yeah
1: it's so sad it's not there anymore
0: yeah i know it just moved up, it great moved space. up the street
1: well they moved to bowery uh, Sure, it's just not the same. Yeah, no, I was mean, cool God, space. That, I mean that downstairs, that dungeon of a spin room is awesome.
0: It was a very, very cool space. It's still so cool.
1: I mean, I yeah. shouldn't minimize it. It's just differently cool.
0: So you're at Life. So basically, you're teaching the whole time. So I'm you're teaching, teaching the whole time, early right.
1: mornings, late at night.
0: Right. So before work, after yep. work. So you're working for a Lifetime now. So um, you're doing the magazine for a Lifetime, but do you start, start custom teaching? publishing. Uh, C- custom
1: publishing and sales. So I was just selling okay. anything to target the you know, users of Lifetime Fitness, which was you know, hardcore fitness consumers. So think um anything from like Chobani yogurt to Foot Locker to, you know, laundry care, detergent, uh-huh. deodorant, any brands you can think of. Right. Those are like my first chance at like selling and like integrating brands into something. So, so
0: who do you who do you meet with? Well to think sell? about
1: this. We were sell we were purchasing at the time, like let's just say I'm making up a number right now just for yeah. so I'm not releasing anything, but like half a million dollars of kids' toys. Uh-huh. So why don't I just go talk to Fisher Price, which used to be my client do they care about fitness consumers, which they do. They had a whole healthy parent mm-hmm. initiative. And so I said, hey, can you give us the toys we need for $500,000? I'll give you branding rights to the to the kids club. So it turned into like the Fisher Price Kids Club. Oh, and wow. all the toys in the, in the kids club were Fisher Price. And so they got, it was like a marketing media deal inside. We, did, we had an O2 training program. We called it O2 training, but it was really the first attempt at heart rate training. And so you had to have a heart rate monitor to take the class. It was, I think it was a six week program and it was sponsored by Polar. Oh wow. And so deals like that. But that was before Orange Theory, before Heart Rate, before
0: So you're negotiating those deals? Yep.
1: Created them, built them, negotiated. So who do you them.
0: like so say take Polar, for instance? Yep. Like, who do you talk to? Okay. The brand this... managers. Okay. The
1: brand managers. Um we did a cool deal. Like I love this was back when we had swipe cards to get mm-hmm. into gyms, but you have that swipe card. Why can't you use that swipe card at Foot Locker? So, hey, like a discount or something everyone like. that's Lifetime Fitness, you automatically know if you need a new pair of sneakers, go to Foot Locker and get X percent off automatically. So make it easier for consumers to just shop. Did you do that? Yeah, it was a great deal.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, wow. there's so many
1: cool deals out there. I mean, everyone. I did a deal when I was at um, 24 Hour Fitness, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, with uh, like degree deodorant, wanted to talk about like your body heat, turning it up. It's the perfect place to do it in a gym. And so, kind of having sampling and signage inside of locker rooms, distribution. We did one with Cheerios. So, like Cheerios wants to talk about heart health, mm-hmm. why not hand everybody out that works out in the morning a little box of Cheerios with like a little card that says, "Do you know?"
0: So, how does that like financially? How does that work? So, say the Cheerios thing. I mean, if you go into yeah, details, brands, obviously, yeah,
1: yeah. Brands pay. So, it's an established um, sales channel. Brands pay samples uh, on a per-sample basis. Usually, it's like a cost per sample or a cost per thousand. Okay. So let's just say Cheerios was willing to spend 10 cents a sample to distribute it. Okay. And then they would handle all the shipping and activation costs. God, Cheerios was validating that the storage of those samples was like safe and that no one, you know, the biggest problem with that is would you ever want a box that had like a little rodent right. hole through it or something right, right, right. sketchy? So there's some stuff attached so to it. So
0: the gym makes 10, say, 10 yep. cents for every sample. Stream. Okay. That's, that's fascinating yeah
1: i mean they, they're monetizing every angle of the gym so you know so, i mean it's a joke but like signage in the bathroom stall is worth is worth right. something a lot
0: and and is there any like do you know anything about the roi on the other end of things like what does it do for cheerios like do you are there like numbers
1: we didn't track that they did
0: right but it's obviously worth it it's no, definitely
1: worth it and they know sampling works um right. Across the industry, I mean, everyone knows that samples do well for trial, um, and it's a lot about where they're receiving it and who's handing it to them and how they're receiving it. Right. Um, I don't. I'm do
0: and do they reasons. dictate that? Like, okay, like between such and such times, you have mm-hmm. to send the samples. Going to go out and, it and has on to be, the realist, so and so has to yeah, do this. Yeah. Well, in such a way, and
1: that's the thing. That's the hard part. And brands like General Mills can put really tight footholds on that, mm-hmm. but most brands have learned to a little bit looser. Um, you know, that's the negative of doing that. You leave something up to like the gym's front desk. They're just going to like hand it, Oh, take three, take five. And that's, you have to be a little bit cautious of that. I mean, are you really going to limit one kind bar per person when someone's going to try to take five? Right. So you you do have to do that. Um, but you have to be realistic. I mean, is the front desk person really going to stand there and hand that out or does the brand want to send their own champion? Right. A lot of times, I worked with um, a company that was like a third-party vendor to come in, and we would pay people like thirty-five bucks an hour to just stand there and be a brand champion. Which you see that all over the place.
0: Thirty-five bucks an hour?
1: Uh, yeah, they make a lot an hour.
0: Wow. Yeah. Sign me well, they That's have to a-
1: like jump up on the brand. Yeah. Sign me up.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So we kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, those all of the stuff is fascinating because I love the way like business actually works. Yeah. You know, just because I'm so sequestered in my small business. Um, but-
1: Everything is monetizable.
0: So, so just let's walk, let's walk our way through. So you're at Lifetime yep. and you're still teaching, obviously. Uh-huh. Where are you teaching at that point?
1: So Lifetime's based in Minnesota. So my boss and team was based, I was remote. So I started very young in my career being, uh, an independent worker. So a lot of people say that they can't work from home. I loved it. Mm. Um, I would wake up at five in the morning. I'd be at the gym from till like seven or eight in the morning to so
0: teach a few classes, teach
1: a few classes or just work out. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, I'm a very regimented person. Um, so do, it do you think? Sorry,
0: just sorry to, to interrupt you, but do you yeah. think your background as an athlete mm-hmm. is what made you so regimented? Hundred um,
1: percent. Me waking up at four thirty in the morning and knowing that I can take a power nap and feeling better. I remember asking my regular doctor, "I'm like, if I get my total allotted hours in thirty six hours, is that okay?" And well, at the time, she said yes. Yeah. So um, I'm a napper. So as long as I hit. I mean, I, I'm almost sad to admit how many hours I actually try to get. But as long as I hit six hours, my goal is six and a half mm-hmm. in a 24 to 36-hour period. Gotcha. I'm, I'm happy.
0: Gotcha. Well, you burned a candle on both ends. Yes, a little bit.
1: Yeah. A little bit. So, just,
0: so talk to me then. So you're working from home. You're in New York. You're living in New York. Living in New York. Lifetime is based in Minnesota. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously they're everywhere now, right? Um, at and the, the time,
1: at the time, uh, at the time, their office corporate everyone was in um Minneapolis. Okay, actually, outside of Minneapolis, did they have
0: locations everywhere at that point?
1: No, we only had when I started. There was like thirty-three gyms open at the time.
0: Was there one in New York nope. in the city?
1: No, nope, no, nope. the one in the city just opened a couple of years ago.
0: Okay, was there one in Long Island?
1: Nope, not even on the East Coast.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I think the closest- had you even heard of them? Like, did you?
1: I uh no, to be honest, I really didn't. I kind of um I mean when I saw the I think I found the job on like Media Bistro, which I don't know if that exists either. Um website or something? Yeah. It's like a, you're finding jobs in media. Okay. Um and they were just looking for a national sales. I saw fitness and I got excited because I would always look for business development or fitness jobs or whatever. Um I mentioned, you know, to me merging, you know, your your career goals with the passion that you have is like the most amazing thing ever so to be able to be in the fitness industry while i am passionate about it day and night anyway kind of worked um so lifetime was great and then so yeah so i was working for them um i was traveling a ton
0: did they not want you teaching for like their competitors i guess they didn't have any competitors in new york they didn't think
1: of them as competitors it's funny Mm -hmm. i didn't even when i took the job at 24 hour fitness um i didn't think it was competitive to lifetime lifetime I mean, I'm sure you know now, is the pretty high end. Um, I mean, it's
0: actually, we did this massive... I, we were talking about where I work at. I work out at, at home. Uh-huh. But we did this renovation Which on our like home last me, year. That's okay. It's, but it's, it's an amazing facility. <laughs> we, uh, but we did this massive renovation at my house. We were living in a rental. And I joined Lifetime. There's a huge Lifetime in Syosset uh-huh. in Long Island here. I mean, it's an amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. The gym is insane.
1: So the cool part about... One of the coolest parts about Lifetime is that they actually own the land, which at the time, to be honest, I don't know they're in our workings today, but at the time they owned all of their land. So they were able to make changes and do really cool things oh. and and replicate the experience from one market to the next. Mm-hmm. So the same exact looking gym that opened up in Houston was the same one that was in downtown, you know, Minneapolis or whatever. So um, their, their footprint's amazing. Um, and they target a higher... Household income, they have a family environment. It's just a, a different space versus you know mass fitness.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, before Lifetime was here, Equinox was the premier gym. I'd say, yeah. like, even in this area in Long Island, I belonged to Equinox in the city, and when we moved out here, additionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, like, I think a lot of people are migrating from Equinox over to Lifetime now here. Is it? Because I mean, it's just a ma- it's like massive. They have like kids club. There's basketball courts. There's right. pool. Yeah. I mean, the physical space is. Insane. It's like,
1: a, I think it was 150,000 square foot footprint.
0: I mean, it's I, I believe it. It's huge.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, I do remember thinking that Equinox would be competitive one day, but back then it was kind of segmented like Lifetime was suburbs, Equinox right. was urban. I mean,
0: because you can't really have a – I know they have a Lifetime in the city now, but it's really hard to have a facility yeah. like that. I mean, the Lifetime in the city is insane also, right. you know.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that it only started kind of overlapping with each other. As Equinox moved suburban mm-hmm. or suburban, and the um, and and Lifetime moved a little more urban, right? Yeah, and now right it's like, wait a minute! Now we're all fighting for the same consumers. Right. So I, yeah, I mean, I used to run into the CEO's arms. I don't think he even knew my name. He just called me New York.
0: That's funny because
1: he had no. You know, there was nobody else in New right. York.
0: So, when, how old are you when all this is going on? So you're working for Lifetime. Lifetime I
1: was uh, maybe twenty six, twenty seven. Oh, so you're still like I mean, that was we'll a long get. time ago, still. Yeah. Thanks.
0: So what? So, what's next? What's after that?
1: So, I left Lifetime uh, for 24-Hour Fitness uh-huh. when 24-Hour was going to build their own magazine from Rodale.
0: So, so doing the same thing, basically. Same Four concept
1: 20, okay. for 24-Hour Fitness, okay. but out of Rodale. So, Rodale owns, at the time, well, now they're owned by Hearst, but they owned uh, Men's Health, Women's Health, Runner's World, and Prevention. It's
0: so like real premier fitness. Right.
1: Magazines. And so, I was in their custom group and kind of had access to like a publishing company based in New York, but I was like... A much more elevated position. I had only one other person to report to. I kind of ran the show. It was literally just an upgrade in job. Um, Do you have to go to the
0: office then? Your, I did have yeah. to go to the
1: office, but only a few days a week. They were okay. great. I I was I was a more efficient person at home, and I right. told my boss that, and he he, he understood. Cool, right? Yeah.
0: So you basically moved to a higher role, you know, more of a management type. Yeah, position. I think I was
1: technically a director at that point. Okay, um, which was pretty. Young and exciting for me. Um, I like the way that Rodale paid salespeople. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much you know about like how salespeople get paid, but...
0: I imagine it's a lot of commissions.
1: It's yeah. commission heavy, but the way that Rodale did it was every salesperson was in kind of in the same boat. I think it was like 65, 35. So whatever they thought you were going to make this year, like if you hit your goal for the year, you're going to make X. And 65% of that was tied to your, was your base salary mm-hmm. and 35 was tied to commission. And gotcha. then it just, I liked it. It just, it seemed smart. I like the people. I was mm. nearby um it just felt like an upgrade so I took it um and it was great for a little while but custom publishing changed and I was there for about two years magazine so what
0: changed about it like digital stuff at that time or
1: yeah it's kind of like magazines were, were fading um honestly at the time 24-hour fitness uh, was booming and uh, the management was shifting and so when they had their first investor and their new CEO, they kind of had a different shift in a marketing strategy. So custom publishing is very much a marketing platform. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they got all excited and put a lot of energy and money behind it. And then they were like, well, eh, maybe we're not going to do this anymore.
0: Gotcha. So they dropped it.
1: Yeah, so they don't do the magazine anymore, I think they might do something digitally. Okay. Um, so the magazine at the time was called U24. Wow. And the things that would I would get hit with was very similar to what was happening at Lifetime, where I would go into brands and say, hey, don't you want to target 4 million members that are all tied into the 24-Hour Fitness ecosphere? And they would all say yes, but then they wanted more. So then I would have to go convince my boss to convince his boss to convince the brand to let something happen. Um, And that got tiring after that. Gotcha. So then I went direct to 24. And so I just started as a consultant working for them. Doing what? BizDev. Okay. So I would build these same deals. So you went as-
0: straight into the just the gym industry then. From yeah. the, you dropped the magazine stuff.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. So the magazine kind of the magazine stuff kind of faded. You know, people were spending less on custom publishing and more on marketing, and so I was there to kind of help support that. Um, oh. And as an independent person, it worked. If I was part of an organization or an agency, it, it was too frustrating.
0: So what did you do exactly? So what? What is so that? So I think
1: job? like um, one of the cool deals. This is a great story. I was on a plane. Um, You know, you're like on a plane back from LA and like you're on one of those planes where you know someone famous is in the front because they've got their little curtain. All of a sudden, Paula Abdul rips the curtain off and says like, hello, we're all asleep. It's a red eye. No one cares that she's on the plane except me and these two dudes that are sitting next to me. We all started talking to Paula Abdul and we thought we were super cool. I think I took selfies. I don't remember. And um, turns out those guys were from Everlast. Uh, I thought the battery company eventually uh, figured out that it was the, the boxing company and um, and then we totally hit it off, and I built a deal with them.
0: With Everlast. With
1: Everlast, they wanted to be. They, we, we did the Everlast Shadow Boxing workout, where no they branded a boxing class. We trained the trainers.
0: So they were pretty senior guys at Everlast.
1: Yeah, it was the head of marketing and their head of sales.
0: Oh, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: that, I'm still friends with both geez, of them.
0: Talk about being like the right place at the right time. Yeah,
1: but that uh, it could be me. That definitely happens a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but deals like that happen all the time.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, and most brands. Want to integrate into consumers' lives, right. you know, and there's not that many opportunities to do it. Yeah. Um, think about where where do you target fitness consumers today? At a gym,
0: yeah, at the gym, what, like Shape it.
1: magazine, yeah. Muscle and Fitness, like.
0: I, I mean, know, it's, like it's amazing to me that really all of this kind of just makes me realize how important personal relationships yeah. are. I mean, really, it all ultimately, no matter what you do, it fundamentally just distills down into like what two people know? talking to each other and saying, "Oh, well, you know, you do this, I do that." You know, it's, it's, it's so wild. Like, you know, I was
1: talking to, um, a friend of mine whose cousin moved to New York and she's like a, a writer, like a screen writer, mm. whatever, totally not my industry. And she was saying how her dad met some big wig at this party and she got a meeting with him and he, he accepted her friend request on LinkedIn and she's like 27, 28. And I said, if I could look back and say, the only thing I've done right in 15 years is build connections. Yeah. That's it. That's it.
0: And it sounds like you maintain a lot of all those connections that you've built or a lot of them.
1: Uh, I have an odd. There's an odd. Honestly, the fitness industry is pretty small yeah. and insular. And so there's a lot of opportunity to see the same people. And a lot of people stay. Right. So, yeah, a lot of people are the same. That's 20 cool. years later doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, the, the my, my buddy from Crunch when I was 22 is now the founder of Row House. Or, you know, the guy that was the head of personal training now, you know, has his own little startup and, you know, r- manages TRX. Right. You know, whatever. Yeah. They're all, they all do cool things.
0: Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So tell, so now you're working for basically a big gym, you know, like a uh, 24, 24. yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're pretty, I, are they still huge? They were huge? Huge. Know um,
1: was... You know, I don't know if they're number three, four, five. They're definitely top five fitness companies in the US. Okay. By number of doors and number of members. Gotcha. Uh, so people it's door number of doors number of members and then revenues okay. so all, by all three they're t- definitely top they're path. up there They're up there.
0: so you're there for how long
1: um six years I was a, a consultant for them yeah and it was it was one of those like I'm just this third party that just shows up every quarter my deal with them was I had to be in their office three days a quarter and wow. I would show up and, sweet deal yeah it was a great deal and um, you were
0: basically just working deals in the background? Yeah, heart
1: rate deal, you know, heart rate monitors, or I was talking to like Chobani, or we did sampling deals. We did all kinds of like fun stuff. So were you
0: teaching more during that time? Because it sounds like, you know, you're probably, you're really good with your time, it sounds like. So did you have, it sounds like you had a lot of freedom.
1: <laughs> so I've always taught for crunch, and then I started teaching for Equinox back in like 2002. So mm. um, I pretty much maintained those two. I did teach for a short little time at New York Health and Racket, mm-hmm. and then for a short amount of time I was training a couple people. Um, independent training independent training okay. just like you know at the park mm-hmm. um, I had one singer she's she's kind of awesome but annoying like I couldn't handle the personal training thing just yeah. wasn't for me um, but yeah I, I wasn't necessarily teaching more um, I, I was teaching like 10 classes a week
0: okay that's a lot uh, is it a lot what's a lot well, like, what is like a, someone that does that that's their only job well, how many classes do they teach
1: I would say 30 to 40 hours a week is like what. 30
0: to 40 classes yeah Holy shit. Like
1: the cool kids in New York, that's what they're doing. That's a, wow. I would say 25 to, to, to 35. Let's that's say 30 my, is an average.
0: That's no joke.
1: Well, that's their full-time job. Right. They can make it work. Uh, if you think about how many hours you spend working, yeah. isn't it about the same? Yeah,
0: but I mean, that's, it's, Physical. I'm sitting on my ass a lot of the time. You know, <laughs> you know. true. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's, yeah. Um, I've never done 30.
0: That's amazing. I mean, 10 sounds like a lot to me.
1: Well, so 10, I teach five days a week and I most of them are doubles.
0: Gotcha. So are you working out in addition to that? Yes. So those classes don't count. I mean if it's like they a count. Class. I mean I'm
1: physically sweat. I mean, I was at the gym I taught two spin classes last night in a boot camp this morning. So
0: And did you work out in addition or no?
1: I hopped on the Stairmaster for like twenty minutes after class today. That okay. was it.
0: Okay. Well, so you worked out so
1: yes and no. I mean, usually I try try to either show up early or stay late. I've been trying. A couple of years ago I made my resolution to make my extracurricular activities not workout related all right <laughs> like get into photography go to museums yeah, yeah. stop going to the gym well that's, i mean you're um, living
0: in the gym basically yes. so you're so what happens after are you 24 takes you to your job right before what you're doing now or did you have yep. something else going on
1: um so i was at 24 and teaching um for six six and a half years okay and then i went to ursa which is the non-profit behind the fitness industry
0: what's so what is that
1: it's called i um it's it's pronounced Ursa, but it's I H R S A dot okay. org. Um, it's the International Health Racket Sport Club Association. So think American Academy of Pediatrics I just mentioned that, gotcha, or whatever okay. governing body. So you like have, the trade the it's trade okay. organization behind the industry. So okay. they're the people that lobby for, you know, the yoga tax. So you shouldn't be taxed if you're doing something healthy for yourself. Gotcha. Who's who's on Capitol Hill lobbying for those things? Uh, or, you know, that we've got this thing right now called Pass Fit, which is trying to make your um, disposable uh what is it call when you have uh, not disposable income, but when you can put money towards your the HSA. Yes, yeah. and make it so that you can use those dollars for. Forfeits. Oh, okay. There's a lot of behind the scenes that so go. So, like into a lobbying
0: essentially organization.
1: Or? Um, lobbying more. Well, they're an advocate. They're an advocate research. for the fitness industry. I mean, almost every stat that's pulled on the industry comes from RSA.
0: Oh no way! So you work for them then after. 24?
1: I've been working for them for like f- almost five years. I guess. Oh, you still work for them. I still consult for them.
0: Yeah. So, what do you do for them? I sell advertising. So, okay. Do they have like a trade show or anything? Yeah, they huge do. trade okay. show. So, it's so in- like Cybex, like all like the big companies yep. will go there and like, yep. you know.
1: Think think uh, the San Diego, we like San Diego the best. Uh-huh. Um, think San Diego Convention Center. Have you yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, the, the dermatology meeting is there like every few years. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. so every brand that you could think of, okay. uh, any supplier. So it's, and it's probably the biggest, biggest show. show. It is It is the biggest show by far of the year. Um, there are a lot of little ones that pop up and now, I mean, it's all fragmented too, But but it's definitely the highlight of the year.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so. Specifically
1: in the U.S., like, it's huge.
0: So this kind of brings me to where we are now. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting because when I always talk about an entrepreneurial journey and like, you know, when you're starting out like with your entrepreneurial idea, and we're going to get into that. Yep. It's, you know, a lot of folks in their mind, it's like, okay, you know, I have to go all in. Like, I'm all in on this, yeah. you know, entrepreneurial effort. And the reality the reality of it really is, yeah, you're all in on that, but you also have to like survive in the world yeah, and make right. money. And, you know, pay for your rent and, you know, if you have a family, all those sorts of things. Right. So a lot of time, and this is what I did when I started my practice as well, and a lot of the entrepreneurs that I speak with, you have a, a revenue stream coming in from doing like your quote unquote day job. And then, I mean, all of that is going into your side hustle more or less, right. like minus whatever it takes for you to survive right. in New York City, which is a lot. Um, but it sounds like that's kind of exactly. where you're living.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty much pouring everything in. I do. It's funny. Cause I'm getting a lot of pushback. People don't love that you have a side hustle when you are all in on your startup. Um, but it's, uh, to me, it what I'm doing not only validates the business model, but also gives me a lot of credibility. Right. So um, the good part about Ursa specifically, or just being in the industry, um, I get to play agnostic. So I get to play in the sandbox with everyone, and no one. I think no one feels threatened by what I'm doing. That it's going to threaten what they're after with me. Um, right. So like the idea that well, that's I can, all synergistic. Yeah. Right. It's all kind of in the same world. Um, What I'm trying to do is kind of like the right thing for everybody.
0: Right. Yeah, which is, uh, let's talk about it Uh, because I mean, I think it's amazing. So what I thought was really cool about it. So there's stuff that's kind of like what you're doing, but you have to pay like a membership fee, like as a consumer and, you know, like class pass and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. What I thought was so cool about what you're offering is that like, I don't pay anything as a user of the interface.
1: Right. So think about it this way. I'm building OpenTable. And Groupon already exists, right? So there really is nobody that's doing what I'm doing. I'm truly an inclusive directory. Um, I am offering day pass access, it's free to consumers, there is no cost, nothing's hidden attached mm-hmm. to it, you don't have to be my member. And the same thing for gym owners, I don't want extra inventory, don't discount your value, mm-hmm. Like make sure that you, you're you whole, yeah. but become smarter marketers. Right. So I'm trying to incentivize people to become smarter, which right. I think will happen over time. Um, but I'm just an authentic marketplace, very similar to Open Table. So right. if you're the consumer that wants a discount, and if you're going out for dinner tonight, if you're gonna go to Groupon and find what restaurants you can get 30% off, mm-hmm. Those are the other people, right, so um, I have a hundred thousand uh, fitness things to do across the u s. The goal is that you know if I show up somewhere and I need to know what's going on, right. I'll tell you kind of like the why and the yeah. logic behind it, but I should really know everything. Don't tell me the thing that's two miles down the road when right. there's five gyms right on my corner right and that's really the thing that started bothering me. Um, my best friend came to New York years ago and um, and said, I want a nine o'clock yoga class, 9 a.m. yoga class. Number Who works out at nine o'clock in the morning? And first, I don't know yoga. I'm mm. not a yogi. So it took me over an hour to search, call the gyms and put together a recommendation. And I Facebook friend, message mm-hmm. friends like- And you're
0: in stuff? that world. And
1: And she stayed, she was at the W in Union Square. Wow. And I'm like, I don't even know what to tell you. I'm like, here's where I can walk you in for free. Here's what my two friends on Facebook who are badass yoga people think. And here's where like, you know, if I were gonna go, I would go here. Right. But that search took so long. Um, so the fun stat is back in 2012, only 2% of gym members were buying other fitness experiences every month. Mm-hmm. And so that number, to me, when I read that, and I probably read that in 2013, when the research came out, that sounded ridiculous, 2%. Like I did that every day. Right. Um, or at least weekly. And so I realized that New Yorkers tend to be high achievers and w- we do things more than, you know, right. the, the U.S. population. But watching that percentage go from 2% to 6% to 12%, now it's over 25%. Right. So clearly, one in four people that are members of a gym are buying something else every right. month. So there's over right. 16... They'll
0: be to even ask for Gorilla like a boot or something like that, right? There.
1: Or they're like traveling, you know, they're home for the holidays or whatever. Um, or they're just traveling, fish out of water. Right. Or they want to work out with a friend who loves a Zumba class at 24 Hour Fitness. Um, the, the use cases are exponential, mm-hmm. but it's really just, even if you just say conservatively 25% of people are doing this, there's over 20 million people spending 20 bucks a month and there's no directory. So four hundred million dollars right. is being spent on a monthly basis for transient fitness consumers and we've built the groupons and so it right. just it honestly it bothers me greatly to watch a business that only is successful when both sides of the industry fail and right. that's to me what classpass has done right. um, or any anyone that's aggregating like extra inventory right. um, like the you know, so, to me, so the
0: other models it sounds like are based on their okay. So, we fill like we have a capacity of like 10 people that can take this class. Yep. We're typically filling four to five slots, so we can put five slots on the open market sure. for like a discounted rate, right? Correct. You're basically saying just put all of your inventory and don't discount it. Don't like, discount. just hey, listen, if someone wants to go to pay whatever 60 bucks to use a golf simulator or something, whatever, you know, that's how much it costs, you know?
1: It's your. I want the gym owner to become a smarter right. marketer. And
0: also be happy to have this extra, you know, have this person in there right. and treat them like a member, basically. Just,
1: right. Just let them work out. Let right. them in.
0: So is everyone on like like equinoxes of the world and like, you know, are, do they participate?
1: So there's a hundred. So I'm a baby startup. So true. Disc- you know, I'm more of a directory right now than an inventory management. So today you can take your fitness facility and put all of your inventory on there. I've partnered with. There's about, let's just say, 20 companies that run the back-end software mm. for all of the gyms. So all of that inventory, you know, when you say Barry's or, or any boutique that you could think of, uses some type of member management mm. and scheduling software. So I partnered with four of those brands just to kind of prove that I can right. so that the gyms can show the same thing that's on their website on my site. Oh, that's cool. And that, So right now, um, I only have a couple hundred gyms that are, that are live and active. It's not really about that. It's just kind of proving that gyms are willing to say yes. Right. There's no, no one says no. Right. The only gym that's ever said no so far has been someone that needs some type of training before you work out. So if there's okay. like a like a there's a couple clubs that have like a prerequisite trot you know training thing right. before you have, they let them this, in. you
0: have to take this you have to take that class right. before you can work out in the gym. Right. Right. And that's the only, which that's, makes sense. I mean, right. Yeah, but that's, that's the only
1: time that. I've ever been told no. Everyone says, yes, it's free. It's simple. It is difficult to get a gym owner to sit still for five minutes to fill out the little information right. I need, but it's, it's really a turnkey process. So then I get to go play national media partner. So now I get to go say, Hey, previous life, can I work with, you know, everyone from Fitbit to Nike to Under Armour to brands that care about fitness consumers and how can I integrate them? Can I work with like healthcare systems behind the scenes? I get to be national media platforms. The the feedback I got my whole life, you know, lifetime fitness, 24 hour fitness everywhere was you're not national and there is no truly national fitness brand. So I get to kind of be in that space of um, being a directory targeting consumers. So think any travel company You just get off a plane. You're in Vegas. You have two hours. You want to work out. What do you do? So can I drop a text? Hey, do you want to work out? Welcome to Vegas. Here's every gym nearby go. Um so the the marketing behind it and how I can integrate brands consumer base into it is kind of where the exciting thing lies. Right. And then the inventory kind of flows.
0: So are you uh, I'm
1: onboarding gyms hundreds by thousands? All I'm over
0: all over the country. All over the country. Are you pretty much well represented all over the country?
1: Um there's a hundred thousand gyms, very well represented all across the country. Definitely not yet there on the inventory side.
0: How many gyms are there in the country?
1: There's um I would say I'm probably missing twenty thousand. There's probably 120,000.
0: So you basically have almost everybody. I'm
1: you? trying to have everybody. I, I'm close. Wow. Um. I've been. I've spent two years building this database.
0: So you're traveling all over the place.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. This is all automated. This is a digital. Yeah. This is a digital play. I can do it all from the comfort of my, you know, basement. Um. I built the original version of Go to Practice in Poland. Uh-huh. And now it's out of Pennsylvania.
0: So how do you get the gyms to sign on? Just shoot the call or email or? You know,
1: stalk them, reach out to old friends, say, hey, don't you want to do this? So kind of where I am right now in the business model is that um, there's 100,000 gyms on the platform. I'm basically de-risking everything so Uh that investors look at it and say, this makes a lot of sense. Right. And Um, everyone's participating. You know, gyms big and small have already said yes and have done the, the five minutes of effort to like give me their information. Um the APIs have already done that. And then the brands have already, are giving me like letters of intent that like they will do marketing programs because what I need to do is just pour gasoline on this flame. Right. And so I need to hire like 10 salespeople to just literally smile and dial and walk into gyms and say, hey, sit still for five minutes, onboard your gym, it's free.
0: Right. That. And it sounds like there's only like twenty thousand more gyms that you need. To yeah, I'll
1: far. go find twenty. I think there's a couple. You know, the gym industry is is booming, and gyms open and close constantly. So right. that update and tracking and everything else.
0: So are the bigger gyms on there? Like,
1: yeah. So they're all listed, so yeah. you can find any gym anywhere, anytime. So okay. you, I'll tell you if there's an Equinox on your corner, even if you can't buy it through me, because okay. if you know of Equinox, you might have an in that is not about me. Right. I'm right now the largest fitness directory.
0: Gotcha. I'm like a
1: fitness search engine.
0: So, but when you click on like the type of class and stuff you're looking for, you're basically getting that class. Like, so your friend who wanted a yoga class, she goes, you know, uh, New York City yoga, nine o'clock, whatever, you know. And then all of the options come on there.
1: Yeah, it's not perfect yet. So right now, gym access, group fitness, and surprise me. So the way that it's set up is, if you're looking for gym access, I got that covered. Okay. Group fitness is a little tougher because so anything have,
0: that pops up on there, you get you they will be able to have the consumer will have access to.
1: They have access to it, but okay. they doesn't necessarily mean they can buy it through me today. Okay. Got so you. just for numbers purposes, I think ClassPass has about six thousand gyms for sale or for inventory purposes. There's no way I'm going to hit more than a couple thousand. In, in one year
0: okay
1: so the idea is to you know even to get 50,000 gyms on board right, for inventory right. so right now it's more about the directory gotcha. and being accessible and finding it yep. um, most fitness consumers are smart enough to click through
0: gotcha so like can gym Google like, right, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, the curation is the cool part right so when I get to say you know hey you're following these 10 friends and your Facebook friends love Crunch and Union Square why don't you go so that kind of stuff I can start doing um, that's just a technology play
0: right cool so who's doing all the tech stuff
1: Oh, my gym friend. Um, it's again, a small world. Uh, the guy that introduced me to his name is Mark Davis in uh, Pennsylvania. So Mark, uh, grew up with a guy named Walt and Walt was in my spin class for 10 years. Um, Walt's the guy that would come in and sit, like get all excited. He's like, what's the workout today? And he's like, if I don't puke, it doesn't count like hardcore nice. baller. He's a FinTech guy. Uh-huh. And, um, and when I was ready to bring it out of Poland and, like, kind of bring it to the U.S. and say, like, let's go, um, Mark, he's like, you got to talk to my guy, Mark. And Mark's been my person ever since.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: All of this stuff. Everyone I know is because of these. So world. he's
0: doing, like, all the.
1: Tech updates, database. Finance. He's running it. He's do he, my Does activity. he give
0: you, like, an hourly? Like, how does it, how do you pay him?
1: Um, I pay him <laughs> in, free in, classes, in love uh... and adoration. Um, <laughs> and a little bit of cash. And um, kind of like the future value. Yeah. He sees it. That's cool. Yeah.
0: So, is there like a structure set up? Like he gets like a like whatever percentage of
1: he, um, he and I have a very loose contract right now. But no, okay. he doesn't have anything like formally set in place. Um, I mean, he he can. I would give him yeah. whatever he wants. He can have my arm if he wants it. You heard it
0: here first. Yep. <laughs> you can get whatever you want, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, so, but but some of the stuff that I'm talking about for the next generation, which is really where I am, right. um, I have a couple advisors in the space that have been that have built products in the fitness industry for a long time.
0: That's awesome. I mean, it's super yeah. exciting. You're like at this exciting crossroads. It's about to like pop off, you know. I it's it's, you know.
1: it's definitely cool. I mean, the, the, again, I think the best thing that I have going for me is the connections in, in the industry. So I can I can call up you know CFOs or CEOs of of people that are awesome at what they do and say, hey, I need your help on this. And for the most part, people are willing to help.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you've been in the industry for, I mean, at least at the, you know, with Lifetime and yep. 24, and now like. With this Grand Puba fitness yeah. organization, <laughs> like, what was for it 15 years maybe? Yeah, that's amazing. Doing all that, yeah. Well, I love the story, you know, and I love the hustle, and, you know, and it sounds like, you know, I. It's interesting. One of my best friends is actually one of my trainers, uh-huh. and you know, one of the one of the things as a small business owner that you struggle with are like staffing issues and like yep. turnover of staff. And you know, he's a big believer in that. You know, you really gotta look for folks that have like a sports background that have been part of a team they get that team mentality, you know, and right. just listening to you and just a little bit, I know about you because we're meeting for the first time today. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're, I mean, you're obviously like are, have an incredible work ethic and, you know, your time management and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I really, the reason why I asked you if like that, your background in fitness, you know, as being an athlete is what really inspired that, you know, and you know, laid that groundwork down and, you know, it's, I can't help believe, you know, you said it, it did. Yep. It just really like lends itself to being like the hustle that it takes to be an entrepreneur, you know? Well,
1: it, if I kind of like put the little mini perfect storm together, I think that being an athlete helps incredibly. Um, and I think about just swimming, like head underwater thinking for hours at a time, um, being by yourself, but then also part of a team. And it's like individual, but without the team, you're nothing. And you're, you know, it's, it's literally like that team spirit, but you know, rowing is like the weakest link. Whoever the right. weakest link is, the boat sucks based on you. Right. So that mentality really does help in this space. But being in sales has helped a lot. Like right. my thick skin, um, the, the coolest part about what I'm doing is everyone gets it. Everyone gets excited when I tell them what yeah. go-to practice is. They understand it. They're like, that's so awesome. It, most people feel like it's like a big bite to chew, right. um, which it is. But, you know, building two sides of a marketplace and, and kind of all the things that go into it yeah. is – difficult um so definitely feeling good about that and never really hearing like oh that's a terrible idea um but being told no over and over like i've been trained to hear no my whole life like in sales i think you know a 10 percent closing ratio is pretty good
0: yeah i I love that my my in one of my i think it was my last podcast remember the podcast before that okay uh i was it it was uh it's a sales rep for a laser company that's Uh how we started his career and we were just talking about like you know how like 90 – like I mean, even when sales reps come to my office, I mean I'll rarely even sit down with somebody just because I'm so busy yep. doing other shit just <laughs> running my practice. And I'm like, dude, it's like 99% of the time the doctors have to be saying no to you. And he's like,
1: yeah. So used to it. Bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean that's it. But that's – it's it's having that grit, you know, that fortitude to be able to sustain the no – but keep asking, you know, just waiting for that. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, and, and a lot of times it's no, because it doesn't work. It's not the right, right thing right now for them. And it, if you can understand what they're going through and then call them back and be like, Hey, I, heard, I read that article. Ch- things have changed for you. Um, I think that that's great in this space. Right. And it's funny like talking to other friends that like have tried things or doing things and they're like, how do you, you know, even advisors are like, Oh, are you okay? Like you've been trying to raise money. I'm like, Hey, I'm going after the 2% rock out. Let's yeah. make it work.
0: Well, you got the mindset for it.
1: I, yeah. Um, I, the no, the no's don't hurt. Um, the no's, it's more about just feeling understood. And so if someone understands what you're doing, they remember you. Yeah. Um and and be- and
0: believing in what you're doing. Oh, that you helps know? a lot. Yeah. I, I love the story. So another thing my my, my trainer Rasan always uh-huh. talks about is like, you know, like Sylvester Stallone, I think was told like no, like I don't know, eighty times for the script for Rocky until he got oh, that really? one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me on that. Uh-huh. But it was some insane number of no's that he got. But just believing in that script, I got look at the look at the empire that Rocky has created, you know? But yeah. just because of that self-belief and not being willing to take no for an answer
1: right you know i mean i think that there's a space where you kind of have to look and say like is no really no yeah like is it really are you doing the wrong thing is this the wrong idea does it not fit is it not the right brand fit so there there has to be enough things that keep you going i mean in sales like you get that one sale two sales and you're like restores your okay. your tank um and so a lot of things restore my tank that maybe maybe shouldn't um but oh. the, but it does hey
0: that's a lot it's more than self-belief uh, yeah I wish you tremendous success. I, you, I, you. I only see success in your future. And I think it's such a great concept. I'm so happy that you slept out here from New York City yeah, to, share, Island. to share Strong your Island. story. Yeah, to Strong Island. And uh, I really, I'm really, i really excited to see where go-to Practice goes and so the, the development of it as we you know, the years ahead.
1: Thank
0: you for having me. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill Podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.